Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard Brown speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is uh, December 31st, 2011, the time, Eastern Standard Time, since I'm located in the eastern part of the United States, 9.01 a.m. Well, the what I call pagan New Year is about to be over. And what I mean by pagan, uh, we are living under the Roman calendar. And we should be living under God's calendar. If you need more information about that, please Google Michael Rood, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Rood, R-O-O-D, uh, into YouTube, uh, the Creator's Calendar, and there is some free teaching online uh, where you can educate yourself toward uh, the truth about God's calendar versus the Roman calendar. Anyway, uh, this evening, which at 12 o'clock people have been deceived into thinking that uh, at midnight, that's when the new day arrives in the Bible, uh, when the sun sets, that's when the new day begins. So like uh, when the sun set this evening, wherever you're located around the world or the United States, that's when the new day arrives. Anyway, that's another Bible study in itself. For the title of this Bible study is the kingdom of God. The kingdom in the Greek, uh, in the um, New Testament, it means Basilea, uh, Basilea. And it means uh, properly royalty, that is, rule, or concretely around. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the rule of God, or the realm of God, or the royalty of God. That's what we're talking about. And do we have that today? Do we have that today? I'm going to quote a few scriptures here, and then I'm going to go over some some world news that I definitely need to go over. And then uh, we're going to go over the Torah readings today, briefly. And then we're going to get back into our Bible study, which is the rule or realm of God or the royalty of God. Do we have that worldwide today? And I think uh, after these scriptures I'm going to quote you, you should realize that we don't. All right, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. 
beginning in verse 15. I'm going to read this in the uh, English Standard Version of the Bible. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the rule of the realm of the royalty of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Notice that it says of our Lord and of his Christ. So God has a Messiah, and that Messiah is the Son of God, Yeshua Messiah. Of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, and for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So at this particular point in future history, God will officially begin to directly reign over mankind. Right now he's indirectly doing it, but he's not directly reigning over the whole universe right now. Uh, verse 18, Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name. So, when you understand Revelation, uh, not Revelation, but Hebrews chapter 11, none of the the uh, patriarchs and the, the prophets and saints received a promise. Part of the promise is immortality, being able to live forever, because when you understand the following scripture here, hold your place here in Revelation 11, verse 18. Let's turn to John. Chapter 3, verse 3. John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is something that uh, you see. And then verse 4, uh, Nicodemus, who uh, eventually became a follower of Yeshua. Uh, John 3, verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? In verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit. Now, born of water, it really is uh, symbolic of immersion, which is called in our English Bibles baptism, but is really immersion. And the Spirit, because when you're immersed, and if you do have a repentant attitude, an attitude of wanting to change, having an attitude like a little child, being humble, then you will receive the Holy Spirit, which will enable you to obey the law and teachings of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So so we, we know now that the kingdom of God is something that you see and is something that you enter. All right? Verse 6 of John, chapter 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So he's really trying to break this down to people who want to believe the words in the Bible. Verse 6 of John chapter 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. So we're all flesh, folks. That's what we are composed of mostly. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We're not born of the Spirit. We're not spirit beings. 
like the Father and the Son is right now and, and the angels in heaven. Now, in verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, he's giving a description, and I, I think when people read this, I don't think they understand what he's telling you. So I'm going to try to explain it to you. John 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Okay, so he's making an analogy here, an analogy. Just picture yourself walking in the street and, and the wind is blowing. And he's saying that the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's comparing <laughs> the wind to a spirit. That's what a spirit is. And that's what we're going to be. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul adds on to this understanding here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. 50 rather. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit. So the kingdom of God is something that you see, is something that you enter, and is something that you inherit. Okay? I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, I just read you at the beginning of this Bible study, the last trumpet. Many people want to say that's not the last trumpet, but it's only one place in the, in the um, apostolic scriptures or the New Testament or the renewed covenant scriptures where there's a list of trumpets, and the last trumpet is the seventh trumpet, which the seven angels sounds. So in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound on the shofar, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. You know? Okay, so changed into what? Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So, we're going to have imperishable bodies. And in verse 45 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So it's comparing the first human being and then the model or prototype human being, the last Adam, which was Yeshua Messiah, became a life-giving spirit. That's what we're going to be. We're going to be life-giving spirits because we're going to marry the last Adam, the Messiah, as revealed in Ephesians chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 19. 
Verse 47, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Verse 48, as was the man of dust, so also are those of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those of heaven. Okay, so let's understand the comparison here, or the dichotomy. As was the man of dust, so are also those of the dust. So we are the earth, so we have... we're earthly image but eventually mankind will be like the man of heaven which is right now Yeshua Messiah and, and, and the Father and we're going to in verse 49 it says this just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we have the image of Adam right now we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So you know that the man of heaven, which is Yeshua Messiah, is a spirit. He's a life-giving spirit. And that's what we will be, life-giving spirits. If I can find the scripture here in Philippians, I think it's in Philippians, states that we're going to look like him. I can find it. Here we go. Philippians 3. Well, actually, yeah. Um, Philippians 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. But our citizenship, what is citizenship? Just like we have United States citizenship. Well, our citizenship is in heaven. And that's another Bible study in itself. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. To have a glorious body is a, it has to be composed of spirit. It's a spiritual body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. To himself. And what does Yeshua look like now? Well, the book of Revelation reveals this to us. If we just allow the book to reveal things to us. Here. In Revelation chapter 1. Verse 12, Revelation 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And verse 13, and in the midst, or in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Okay, so this is what we're going to look like. As he, in verse 17 it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. All right? So we're going to look something like that. And then in Daniel, Daniel, chapter 12, verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake some to everlasting life and some, unfortunately, to shame and everlasting content. And then verse 3, 
is the key verse here. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So we're going to be changed into spirit. We're going to have spiritual bodies. We'll be, we'll be life-giving spirits like the Messiah because we're going to become married to the Messiah and a husband's wife shares in the husband's glory. And so we, so will we. So will we with our husband, Yeshua, spiritually. Now, Revelation 11, verse 15 and 19 proves that obviously God is not directly, he's indirectly, but he's not directly ruling us right now. So who is directly ruling us right now, folks? Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 4 to find out. Luke chapter 4. Starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Verse 2. For 40 days, being tempted by Hasatan, or the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So he did this to prepare for the most deceitful being in the universe, the trickiest being in the universe, Hasatan or the devil. Verse 3. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. So, <laughs> the devil knows how we are, and we love to eat. And so did Yeshua, obviously, which is his Hebrew name, Jesus' Hebrew name. And he knew what to do to, to try to get him to sin, is to appeal to what most of us work for, right? Food, right? But he was a lot stronger than that. Verse 4, And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So we should not live by bread alone. And I know um, Matthew 4, verse 4 states, uh, we, we must live by every word of God. I think it states that. Let me see. Or it may quote the same thing. No. Yeah, uh, Matthew 4, verse 4, uh, the same uh, event here, but there's additional words added to give you a better idea of what happened. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 4, but he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we are not to be eating just food, folks. We need to be eating and consuming these words of God. The words of God, as he explained in John, it's over here in John chapter 6, about these words here. The words of God. Let me look this up here. I'm trying to find a scripture where it says the these words are, are 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 your life. 
So you have to take them seriously. Just like most of us, we don't have an issue when it comes to food, do we? I mean, we eat. We eat, and um, we know that if we don't eat, we don't live. And that's true as far as spiritually. But the words of God, the words of God, is your life. John 6, verse 63. John verse 6, verse 63. It is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. John 6, verse 63. So the, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. This entire Bible is Yeshua in print. He is the word of God as revealed in Revelation chapter 19. He is the literal word of God. That's what makes him God. He's a part of God. He's the word of God. So, of course, he's God. And that's not a Bible study in itself. I think people are confused. I can tell the Internet <laughs> who and what is God. A lot of people are confused about who and what God is, who and what God is, and it's really plainly revealed in the Bible if you believe, if you believe. And um, I forgot to even announce this, but um, I have just developed a a new website slash blog that I'm going to type in. Well, my goal is, God willing, to type in everything that God has poured into my mind about what I know about the Bible. And you'll be able to search by category. Uh, there will be a search box where you can type in whatever um, biblical subject you want to find out about, and hopefully it's there. If it's not, please email me, and I'll do a Bible study on it and post it on there, and I'll get the information. But I'm hoping that this website is called Merciful Letters, or Compassionate Letters, Merciful Letters. I'm hoping that this information is spread all over the Internet. Now, the the uh, the audience or the reach is two billion over two billion people. So I'm not going to reach every person around the world, but um, if God so desires, I will. Uh, it's up to Him. It's only it's going to take Him. But I'm going to do all I can to give the gift of truth, which uh, someone I was uh, listening to Michael Ruth, I think uh, last week. And a woman on the chat stated that uh, that's the greatest gift you can give anybody is the truth. And I have to totally agree. And keep in mind that uh, when Jesus Christ talked about the truth in John chapter 8, it's associated with freedom. The truth is free and should be free. It should not be sold. And that's another thing that a lot of ministers, unfortunately, even the Messianic ones, are guilty of uh, selling the truth and they justify well I have to be supported yes yeah, true you have to be supported but that's not how you teach the people to support you by selling the truth there's a scripture in Proverbs 23 verse 23 states that buy the truth and sell it not indicating that God knew that there would be people in this end time and in all times it appears most times anyway where there is uh, the concept of religion or worship where people would charge for their teachings. 
And that's totally against biblical principles. It's against the Bible and what it says. Just study the first couple of verses of Isaiah chapter 55. The truth should be free. It's a gift, and it should be free. It should be free. And MercifulLetters.com will always be free. Anything that I teach, whether it's on Blog Talk Radio, on the MercifulLetters.com website, which I, I uh, feel free to look at, look over that website. I have uh, various social media tools at the end of each letter or blog entry. Please share it with your friends and your neighbors and those who are concerned about the truth because that's what I do. I preach the truth out of the scriptures. The truth is the scriptures. It's the word of God. The truth also is Yeshua Messiah in written form and also in bodily or spiritual form. The truth is the entire teachings of God. And that's what I preach. And unfortunately, the world does not like what I preach. But I will continue to preach what I preach. Despite that. Let's go back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. So in verse 4, of Luke chapter 4, and Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. So he's not saying that you should not live by bread, but it should not be the only thing you live by, but by every word of God. So you must equally live by bread and also every word of God. Remember in Ezekiel chapter 3, God commanded um, the prophet Ezekiel to eat the words he was giving him. And also in the book of Revelation, the same concept is there, to eat the words. We ought to eat the words of God, not literally, but we should be taking the words of God so serious that we can see ourselves spiritually eating the words. Anyway, verse 5. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world, and that word kingdoms in the King James, the King James is a good version of the Bible. It's not perfect, but one of the things that I do like about it is it's linked with Strong's Concordance of the Bible. For those who don't know Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, or Aramaic, you can look the words up in the original uh, Greek or Hebrew, and it tells you what those words mean. And sometimes this is very necessary for some scriptures that the King James uh translators that they translated not as clearly as they should have. But anyway, in Luke chapter five, when the devil took Yeshua into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, that word kingdoms, and I began this program with defining what kingdom is, the same Greek word, Basilea, and it means royalty, rule, or realm, or reign. So it can mean royalty, rule, realm. It can mean literally or figurative, figuratively. And in this sense, it's, it's literally. Okay? Um, so the devil showed 
Yeshua, all the kingdoms or the realms of the world in a moment of time. And then verse 6, And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. So right now, God is allowing the devil to directly rule this world with restrictions, of course. Uh, if it was up to the devil, he would have destroyed the world by now. But uh, he has given him power, and he's directly ruling the world right now. That's the reason in that verse, let's read the rest of what he says here. Let me read this back in the English Standard Version of the Bible here. It says, in verse 9, Luke 4, verse 9, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Okay, wait a minute. Let me go back. Yeah, Luke 4, verse 5, And the devil took him up and showed him all the realms of the world, in a moment of time, in verse 6, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. So the devil rules over all the governments and realms of the world, folks, directly. God does not right now. And you may say, well, doesn't he rule over everything? Yes, indirectly. But directly right now, he's given that over to the devil. The devil just said it. Now, did Yeshua said you're wrong? No, he didn't say that at all. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 11. In verse 15, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay, so right now, God is not directly reigning over this earth yet. He will in the future, and that's something that you really need to understand. Now, you need to also understand this. In Revelation 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver or trickster of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, the beast that the devil has created and, and will modify to fulfill prophecy. Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bows came and said to him, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and this is uh, spiritually, and in some cases physically, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So, Every person has been born, with the exception of Yeshua, Jeremiah, and John, or Johannan, the Immerser, John the Baptist, have been drunk, have been drunk with the wine of this false system of Babylon, which consists today, geopolitically, of the following. NATO, the United Nations, religiously, the leader of all the religions of the world, the one that has the most power is the Roman Catholic Church. And geographically, the Middle East, uh, in particular, the area of Iraq. That area consists of the old city of Babylon, 
which means confusion. The Tower of Babel is located there, which means confusion. And in this particular chapter, it talks about a city, that great city. And then in Revelation chapter 18, gives you a description of the city. And uh, that city right now, currently, can be no other city but New York. New York has dominion over the kings of the earth because they control all the money. It's, everything is there in New York. New York is the most powerful city in the world. Revelation 17, verse 18, a woman that you saw is a great city. And isn't it interesting that New, uh, New York City is called a city? New York City. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth, right? They they go every year to the United Nations in September. So anyway, that's another Bible study about who is Babylon. This is a pretty interesting Bible study. But think of Babylon as consisting of those three, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, New York City, and the area of Iraq, which is Babylon today. I don't know if New York City will continue to be this great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Many people are thinking that that area in Iraq, where the Tower of Babel is located, could be built again. Who knows? But right now, New York City fits the description of this great city right now, currently. Because all the leaders of the world come to New York City. You have the stock market, the uh, Dow Jones, that the whole world goes by in New York City. Uh, you have one of the largest ports in the world located in New York City. When, when, that this city is very influential, the most influential city in the 21st century. So anyway, now in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, talks about four beasts, and that's another Bible study in itself, but I want to get to verse 13 here of Daniel chapter 7. And then the the word kingdom in the um in the Hebrew in the uh Tanakh or the Old Testament scriptures is Malku and it refers to dominion, kingdom, kingly, realm, reign. So it means basically the same thing. Okay, and well it does mean the same thing as the uh the word kingdom in Greek. Basileia. Anyway, Daniel 7, verse 13, it states, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And here we go. Here's the Messiah is being presented to another being called the Ancient of Days. And I just got through reading an article, and I'm sure that uh, she was being as sincere as she could, but 
she left out certain scriptures, and this is one of them, um, that proves that that the Messiah, or the Son of God, is a separate being from God the Father. All right? Uh, how can the Messiah come to himself and present? It, it doesn't make any sense. In Daniel 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came, the son of man, which is the Messiah, which is Yeshua Messiah, and he came to the angels of days. So the Son of Man came to the angels of day. These are two separate beings. And was presented before him. In verse 14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. So a kingdom was given to Messiah, and this is going to happen in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. This is what Daniel 7, verse 14 is describing here. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Right now, the devil, Hasatan, is having all people's nations and languages serve him. But in the future, that's going to change. But anyway, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, unlike the devil's, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one that shall not be destroyed. The devil's kingdom will be destroyed, as I'm going to show you in Ezekiel. All right, and... In Daniel 7, verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Now, this, this is interesting. Many people don't get this. They confuse these four beasts with Daniel chapter 2 to be the kingdom of Babylon, uh, uh, Persia, Greece, and Rome. But what does Daniel 7, verse 17 state? It says, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So these four great beasts did not rise out of the earth during the time of Daniel. So I want you to understand that. Now, let's understand something else, too. And this happened in the 21st century. There's four power blocks of the world right now. You have the United Nations. You have the United States. You have Russia. And you have the European Union. They are called the Quartet. Look them up on Google, the Quartet. The Quartet was, uh, matter of fact, let me look them up now, because I, I think they were, I think George Bush has something to do with the Quartet being created. Of course, the devil has something to do with it, but as I explained to you, he works through people, and he influences them mightily. We all have been drunk with the wine of the devil's, Fornicating Deception. Quartet. Quartet up in here. The Quartet on the Middle East. And this is um, found in Wikipedia. The Quartet on the Middle East sometimes called a diplomatic quartet or Madrid quartet or simply the quartet, is a foursome of nations and international and supranational entities involved in mediating the peace process in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. The quartet are the United Nations, the United States, the European Union, and Russia. The group was established in Madrid in 2002, recalling the Madrid Conference of 1991 as a result of escalating conflict in the Middle East. 
Tony Blair is the Cortez current special envoy. Okay? So that is the origin of the quartet. And let me read a little bit more here. It says, the initiative to establish a quartet evolved following the outbreak of the second infidata in September 2000, which is interesting. That is the uh, seventh month, I think. Yep. And the futile ceasefire attempts that followed. On October 25, 2001, Representatives of the EU, UN, and United States and Russian governments met Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat, who's dead now, and jointly expressed support for his policy of implementing ceasefire and security reforms in the Palestinian Authority. So anyway, that's how the quartet was originated, and the Bible's indicating, I don't know if these it's going to be exactly these four power blocks, but it's interesting in these end times that there's four power blocks right now, or four foursome of nations or beasts that's what a beast is in this context that consists of the entire world but anyway whether they're going to be still be these four power blocks when all these things begin we'll see but it's pretty interesting that in, in these end times you have four foursome of nations Exactly what Daniel described would happen. There would be four beasts in these end times. That shell rising, and they they rose out of the earth in the 21st century. Anyway, verse 18. But this is what God says through the prophet Daniel, what's going to happen to these four power blocks, whatever they are, now or in the future. Verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, Forever and ever. Okay, so Yeshua and the saints will possess the kingdom forever and ever. And in verse 19 it says, Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with his teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which an atomic bomb is made of, right? Iron and bronze. And which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped, what was left with his feet, and that's what nuclear bombs do. They break things in pieces. Actually, bombs do that. So, you know, nuclear bombs are going to be worse. Verse 20, and about the ten horns that were on his head, and the other horn that came up and before, which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake great things, and that seemed greater than his companions. Verse 21, as I looked, the horn made war with the saints that prevailed over them, until the ancients of days came, in the form of Yeshua Messiah, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, was was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So the realm of God is going to be handed over from the devil to Yeshua and the saints. Verse 23, Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, shall be a fourth kingdom. So all these beasts are kingdoms. Or nations. There shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, trample down and break it in pieces. Rome did not do that. Rome did not devour or eat up the whole earth and trample down and break it into pieces. So this is a future prophecy, folks. Verse 24 As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall rise. So the horns are kings. Let the Bible interpret itself. 
and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. So he's going to annihilate of the ten. He's going to destroy three of those kingdoms. Verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given unto his hand a time, times, and a half a time, or three and a half years. Verse 26, but the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away, the devil's dominion, through these kingdoms, to be consumed and destroyed in the end. So the devil's kingdom is going to be destroyed, folks. Verse 27, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Okay? So, I just wanted to point that out, that right now the world is not being ruled directly by God. It's being ruled indirectly by the devil with, of course, limitations. But he... As I explained to you in Luke chapter 4, rules his entire world. He has all the glory of this entire world right now. And Revelation chapter 11, let's go over that again, because this is very important for you to understand. Most people think that God is directly ruling this world. He's not. He's not. If he was, there would I wouldn't be hearing stories of men chopping up little girls and putting their bodies in garbage cans. I wouldn't be hearing that today. You wouldn't be hearing about other crazy things that are happening. I just looked at this video, and I almost cried last night. But it actually showed an abortion. Um, what was that that they used, Cherie, for you when uh, Kennard was in your womb? And what was that? Yeah, they had a C-section. This guy was just talking like this was just was a normal process. He said, this is the first time we ever have done this. Uh, we are going to show how a baby was killed in a womb. You know, so they actually was showing this baby, and this baby was showing this baby crying because he knew that he was getting ready to. I mean, for people who, yes, yes, it was showing the ba- a picture of the baby crying. Yeah, 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 and it was just so. I, I anyone should look at this video, especially women who are listening to me today. They're contemplating murdering your child. Uh, this so-called educated person. This doctor in the video was uh, talking like the being in the womb was a human being. He said, "The child, the child, the child." They kept on saying, "The child, the child." And then, you know, of course, the abortionists today uh, believe that as long as it's in the womb, it's not a human being. And yet, he kept on saying, "The child, the child, the child." Uh, how can it not be a human being when this human being is crying? I don't know of an animal that cries not like a human being. Okay, you know, and and I believe people should you should look at this. You should look at this video, and then and then he was saying that the doctor that did this after he saw the baby cry never did another abortion again. And then also the woman that of course volunteered for the abortion did not even want to talk about the event again. And so at the beginning of this video it shows a woman's legs lifted up, and they had this machine going in her vagina. Tearing up the baby. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. I mean, this is what. And another shocking thing, folks, is that this happens four thousand times a day in this country. And I think this was filmed back in the '70s, so it's probably worse today. Four thousand times, innocent blood is shed. And you know, uh, a woman had posted this on the on my Facebook page. 
and I'm glad she did, because uh, people need to understand the, the abominable, horrifying event of abortion. is murder. I don't care. Anybody wants to justify it. It's inhumane. And those women that do that, I don't see how you have a heart. I really don't. You don't have one. You don't care about anyone but yourself. Now, I know in certain situations when a woman's life is at stake is allowable, but the majority of abortions are in in, in, that, in that category. The majority of abortions is because, well, I, I had sex and I can't take care of a baby, so that baby has to die. You better hope that God decides to keep you alive when you're resurrected if you're going to have that type of attitude. Because I certainly am glad I'm not going to be judging you. So... You're, there's something wrong with your brain matter if you think an abortion is not murder, folks, especially after looking at that video. Sometimes you need to look, visualize something to really understand what it is. I mean, we take things for granted in this country. We take things for granted worldwide. And we don't understand how merciful God is to him to allow abortion. And it's probably much more than that around the world every day. But in the United States, is over, it's 4,000 a day. He allows that. He allows innocent blood to be shed. There's a prophecy by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. I don't know if I'm going to get to the Torah readings today. I thought I was going to do it, but I'm going to try to see if I can at least summarize them here because this is such an important topic about what the realm or rule or royalty of God is. Because most people don't understand what the kingdom of God is. And they don't understand that this world is not being ruled by God. They don't understand that either. Isaiah 59, verse 7. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. This includes the innocent blood of abortions. Now, this chapter is in the context of people not wanting to know the truth, which is the word of God. Isaiah 59, verse 7, their feet run to evil. They run to evil. They don't walk to evil. They run to it. <laughs> They're not running to, 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 to get the truth. They're running to evil, though. Let me give you an example of how we run to evil in this country. Most men run to their pornography online. Most men run to their football games. Now, I mean, literally run and, and to forget God. Most teenagers run to their video games. Most females run to their makeup kits, their perfume, and their clothes. They're more concerned about that than God. And anything you put ahead of God is, is an idol. Collectively, as a human race, we run to things that we feel are more important than running to the Word of God and finding out what that those words tell us, how to live and how to treat people, how to master the art of human relations, how to master the art of communicating to the greatest being in the universe. That's what the Bible is for. But anyway, verse 7, their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. When abortions are done quickly. You look at that video, oh boy, it's a quick thing. All that blood sucked out of the vagina, pieces of flesh, 
torn up flesh? Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. You tell me a child is not destroyed through abortion? But, but this is not just talking about abortion. It's talking about slavery that is done worldwide. People are, I just saw a picture, I have a picture right here of, of a woman. And this happened because she was persecuted. She was persecuted because she believes in Yeshua Messiah and says, Yobelina was badly injured during, this is uh, Beauty and Suffering, do you remember this face? This is by um, uh, the voice of martyrs. The voice of the martyrs. And it says, Yobelina was badly injured during an attack on her Christian village. As she ran from her attacker, she spilled a kerosene lamp that ignited and burned her face. So because she was and these people, I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to tell you this right now. She may not know about the Sabbath and the holy days and and all that. And you, you have people, when, when God mercifully reveals to you the truth about the Sabbath and all the rest of the commandments, unfortunately, more so than not, there's a certain arrogance that flares in people. And they forget the weightier matters of the law. Matter of fact, I have a Bible study I suggest you listen to about that. And I guarantee you this, that if God never taught her about the Shabbat or the holy days, and she doesn't know anything about it, she'll be in the kingdom. Because you're only responsible for what you know. And these people, when I read these people in the voice of the martyrs, they're doing the best they can. They're doing the best they can. Sure, they don't have the complete gospel, but they have some of it. That's good, and that's good enough. If they understand that you should help people and serve people and love people, that's, in some cases, good enough for God. Okay, and the Shabbat, the rest of the commandments, should help us to understand that we need to care about other people. It all comes down to caring about other people. Okay, that's what it comes down to. And if you, let me just read the scripture again. I'm going to be reading the scripture a lot here because people just don't understand what religion really is all about. It says religion that is pure and undefiled, and religion that word religion is transferred uh, is translated uh, worship in the Greek. So worshiping that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That means people who are afflicted around the world, just like this. This woman who I'm looking at her face now is messed up but I'm sure she has an inner beauty that most of us don't have uh, and to keep oneself unstained from the world which is, means doing the best you can with the knowledge that God has given you to obey the commandments in Matthew chapter 25 he's talking about visiting the sick visiting those in prison feeding the poor those are the things he's going to be looking at. Did the Shabbat, did the holy days encourage you to do those things? Or is the Shabbat and the holy days just something that you do to make yourself righteous? You know, make yourself righteous for yourself, but not toward God or anyone else. There's one song coming through my mind. If your heart isn't in it, okay, your heart has to be in it. 
you know, you're obeying the commandments, but you have to do it because you want to do it, not because I have to do it. See, and that and that's that's what the weightier matters of the law, that Bible study was all about. Um the heavy matters of the law. I suggest you listen to that. But anyway, this kingdom or this realm or the royalty of the world is not being ruled directly by God yet. It will in the future. That is the truth. You may not want to believe that, but that is the truth that the Bible is teaching you, folks. So either you want to believe that or believe what you want to believe, which is the case with most people. So this realm that is being ruled by the devil, there are some interesting things that I'm going to read to you. That are happening that you need to be... Oh, there's one thing I, w I wanted to cover, too. I, I didn't cover this last week, unfortunately. I didn't read the scripture that I should have read uh, that proves that uh, Yeshua was participating in the festival dedication or Hanukkah festivities. Perhaps many of you may have looked that scripture up, but I still want to quote that scripture. In John chapter 10, verse 22, if you want to turn there. And then I'm going to go over a little bit, because uh, Hanukkah is over with now, but I want to go over what you, what is good tradition to celebrate Hanukkah too real quickly. And then um, I'm going to try to see if I can go over the um, Torah readings for today and just briefly talk about it. Then I'm going to do a test too. Um, Sheree, I want you to call in in the program, and I'm going to play this audio uh, dramatic uh, King James, because I'm going to start using it if it, if it sounds right. Because I think uh, you know we're so entertainment <laughs> focused, and if I can bring some little more dramatic uh, uh, scriptures here, audio scriptures to the Bible study, I'm sure that hopefully it'll encourage you to listen more. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you call, uh, go ahead and call now? Yeah, and yeah, Kanara, can you just come back? You go with her, I guess, and then come back and tell me whether or not she can hear the dramatic version of the Bible. Uh, the number is um, two one three three. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not the number to call in. Uh, it's three four seven nine four five seven five two five. That's three four seven nine four five seven five two five. My wife's going to go and call, and I'm going to play this uh, dramatic audio version, a clip of it, and if she can hear it, if you guys can hear it, then I'm going to start using it. Not all the time, but in certain situations, I'll use it to, to bring more, I don't know, variety to the program. So anyway, as I'm waiting for her to call in, um, I'm going to quote that scripture with Hanukkah. This is in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, Then came Hanukkah in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, or Jerusalem. It was winter. And Yeshua was walking around inside the temple area, and Shlomo's colonnade, colonnade, okay, that's what it is there, or Solomon's uh, court. That's what that means there. And I'm waiting for her to call in here, and I wanted to quote something from this excellent book by um, the First Jews of Zion, Light in the darkness, Hanukkah and the disciples of Yeshua. 
And it says, John tells us that it was Hanukkah and Yeshua was walking through Solomon's colonnade, a portico, along the eastern wall of the temple courts. Edershim describes that colonnade as follows. It was the eastern colonnade which abutted against the Mount of Olives and faced a beautiful gate that formed a principal entrance in the sanctuary for all along the inside of the great wall which formed the temple enclosure ran a double colonnade. Each column a monolith of white marble 25 cubits high covered with cedar beams. We inferred that the eastern was Solomon's porch from the circumstance that it was only the only relic left of Solomon's temple. Okay, I have somebody calling me here. That's my wife and... Let me go ahead and do this test here. Okay, I'm trying to see if I could... Uh, here we go. All right, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, now let me do the, the test here. Hopefully it'll work here. Uh, let me go back. Okay, I just had this website up, and then I don't know what I did with it. Okay, let me see. Go back here. And for those who want to make use of this, uh, this is an organization, and I got approval to use their audios for this program, by the way. But uh, if you go to the website and click on Bible.is, you'll be able to get a. Let me do Genesis here, the beginning of Genesis here, and see if it'll work. I'm going to put it on speakerphone, and hopefully. And let me know, Sheree, if you hear it, okay? Okay. All right. Genesis, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, I hear it. It sounds, it sounds good. Void, yes, it does. Darkness was over the face of the does it sound good? Yes, it does. It sounds okay. good. Over the All right. Of the waters. So we'll be God using it. Said, so this is going to be a tool, ladies and gentlemen, that I'm going to be able to use here to bring more flair to this Bible study that I have every week. Uh, we're all into entertainment, and uh, this will bring a little entertainment in a godly way uh, to these uh, broadcasts here. All right, thank you very much, uh, wife, for helping me out here. Okay, goodbye. All right, so I'm going to be able to use that dramatic version here for this. Anyway, as I was reading this uh, section here, it was into this colonnade that the eastern gate of the temple opened. According to the long landing standard or legend, Messiah would one day enter the temple in Jerusalem through the eastern gate. Zechariah 14, verse 4, and Ezekiel 43 figure prominently in this imagery. Therein the Messiah and the glory of Adonai, the Lord, respectfully are portrayed as coming from the Mount of Olives. They come to restore Jerusalem and rededicate Hanukkah, the temple. It says, It was probably through this eastern gate that Yeshua entered on the day of his triumphal entry. No doubt the Messianic association with the eastern gate is why the early believers congregated in Solomon's court or colonnade. They wanted to be ready to greet him at his return. Thus, the portico was the birthplace of the assembly of Messiah. All right. So that's pretty interesting there that he was 
associating himself and Hanukkah, even though it's not in the tour as far as something that is a festival that's required, that that's an obligation, uh, is something that Yeshua participated in and Jews at that time and today participate in. Now, one of the things that um, I wanted to go over here is how you observe Hanukkah. Uh, many people, they light candles, which is okay. They have a replica menorah. Uh, and then they also have various different prayers, and then uh, also in the scriptures, or not the scriptures, but the book that I, I quoted out of last week, the uh, certain psalms are read, Psalm 113, I think to Psalm 118 is read. It's called the Hillel. And... Extra charity, which is it seems to be the case with all the, the the holy days of God, and this Hanukkah is is somewhat of a festival of tabernacles, without it being an obligation. But I can tell that Elohim desires for you greatly to keep Hanukkah, because his son did. So you should follow his example in First John chapter two verse six. Now realize it's not a Shabbat. It's not you don't take. Um, a day off of work, but you can still celebrate the day after work. And it is customary to increase one's, according to Chabad here, to increase one's daily giving to charity. I said on Fridays we give double the amount to account for Shabbat. So charity is something that you should give around this time, more of it. Now, instead of giving gifts for Christmas, um, what Chabad suggests you do, says it is traditional to give all children money. <laughs> During the Christmas season, what, they're giving gifts and all that, right? Well, it says money. It says, of course, the beautiful custom adds to the children's happiness and festive spirit. In addition, because it is a festival, Hanukkah, it gives adults an opportunity to give the children positive reinforcement for exemplary behavior, such as diligence in their studies and acts of charity. Uh, Hanukkah is given to the children after lighting the menorah. Gelt. That's what it means. Gelt means uh, money in Hebrew. The children should be encouraged to give charity from a portion of their money. So that's a positive thing. Uh, Christmas certainly doesn't motivate children to give anything. It motivates them to say, What you get for me, Mommy? What you get for me for Christmas? That's that's what it motivates them to do, but it doesn't mo motivate them to give. So that is a good tradition. That's a good tradition for Hanukkah as well, for those who are wondering how do we celebrate Hanukkah. Well, those, those are some good traditions that are in line with the Bible that is linked with Hanukkah. Okay, so that's it with Hanukkah, and uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way here about Hanukkah. Okay. So getting back to where are we at here? How much time do I have here left? Uh, 52 minutes. Uh, let's go over quickly. Well, I wanted to go over some some world events here real quick. In particular, let me go over here, go over this briefly. So many things that are going on in the Middle East right now. Uh, if you can, you can check on this uh, by typing in watch.org. Uh, www.watch.org. Uh, he does a very good job of keeping up with what's going on in Jerusalem, and you should be doing that because that's where everything will start and everything will end. 
anyway, uh, things are escalating there. Uh, Israel is talking about they need to attack Iran, and and uh, right now they're. Uh, I think the United States sent um, a warship or a ship out to the Strait of Hormuz. For those who don't know what that is, that the Strait of Hormuz is a major port or area where Iran uh, distributes oil. Forty percent of the world's uh, oil distribution is in that area, and they're threatening to shut that that Strait of Hormuz down. And if they do that, that's going to cause chaos around the world. So um, that's what's going on too. And I just from CNN, um, there's Assad. They want to throw overthrow Assad. Uh, in Syria right now, so uh, things are heating up, folks, uh, geopolitically, and you need to be paying attention. As in Luke chapter 21, let's go there again. Uh, we shouldn't be asleep. Luke chapter 21, in the complete Jewish Bible version, for clarity's sake, verse 34. Luke 21, verse 34. But keep watch on yourselves, or your hearts will become dull by carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of everyday living. Let me read this in the Bible, 1965 Bible in basic English version. Luke 21, verse 34, But give attention to yourselves for fear that your hearts become overfull of the pleasures of food and wine. Remember, man must not live by bread alone. And the cares of this life, your bills, your job, and all your problems. And that the day may come on you suddenly and take you as in a net. And see, there are a group of people like myself who are not going to be surprised by whatever happens. Why? Because I'm not allowing food and wine and, the, and my problems to get in the way of that. And you shouldn't either. Uh, verse 35, for so it will come on all those who are living on the face of the earth. For all the rest of the people on the earth is going to come that way because they're not going to be watching their spiritual condition and they're not going to be watching their, the world conditions around the world. Verse 36, but keep watch at all times, not sometimes, all times, with prayer that you may be strong enough to come through all these things and take your place before the Son of Man. He's talking about the things that would occur in, in chapter uh, 21, uh, the, the tribulation and, and all kinds of destructions and everything else. Now, one of the things that I want you to understand here is that we're going through this, the start of this third seal period that I've, I've explained many times in this program. But I'm going to keep on quoting it because we're right in it now. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. You are living in the last generation, folks. The Messiah, unless I don't understand something, will be coming back in the 21st century. I just don't know what day or what month or what year. Revelation chapter 6, verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and his rider had a pair of scales in his hand, which uh, is a picture of the economy or economics, or economics, you can pronounce it either way. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst, or in the middle of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for denarius, and three quarts of barley for denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Okay? Now, let's break this down. Uh, using the uh, English Standard Version Bible Commentary, it says, The rider on the black horse carries scales for measuring grains and their prices. So this is what? 
the economy, right? Socioeconomics, which involves the social aspect of economics. In other words, how people are surviving, how people are making a living, right? A heavenly voice comments on the scale significant, citing inflated grain prices eight to ten times normal inflation. This is a prophecy of inflation, and that's what we're, what's going on around the world right now. Siege and disruption of commercial routes will produce scarcity, driving prices up. Driving prices up. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 49. What the prophet Moses prophesied. Verse 48, for this cause will you become service to those whom the Lord your God will send against you without food and drink and clothing and in need of all things. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck till he has put an end to you. <laughs> the Lord will send a nation against you from the farthest ends of the earth, coming with the flight of an eagle, a nation whose language is strange to you, a hard-faced nation who will have no respect for the old or mercy for the young. He will take the fruit of your cattle and of your land till death puts an end to you. He will let you have nothing of your grain or wine or oil or any of the increase of your cattle or the young of your flock till he has made your destruction complete. So that's what's coming, folks. I, I don't want to read the rest of this to Well, I will read the rest of this to you. You need to know. Verse 52, your towns will be shut in by his armies. So it's going to be a war. Your high to your high hills, to your high walls in which you put your faith have come down. His armies will be round around your towns to all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And your food will be the fruit of your body, the flesh of the sons and daughters which the Lord your God has given you. So cannibalism will be prevalent because of your bitter need and the cruel grip of your haters. That man among you who is soft and used to comfort will be hard and cruel to his brother and to his dear wife and to of those his children who are still living and will not give to any of them the flesh of his children which will be his food because he has no other. This happened during biblical times but it's going to happen again, folks. And then verse 57, And to her baby newly come to birth and to the children of her body for having no other food she will make a meal of them secretly because of her bitter need and the cruel grip of your haters on all your towns. Verse 58, and this is a warning to me and to anyone else that reads this and, and listening to me. If you will not take care to do all the words of this law, of the entire Bible, recorded in this book, honoring that name of glory and fear, the Lord your God, then the Lord your God will make your punishment and the punishment of your seed a thing to be wondered at. Great punishments and cruel diseases stretching on through long years. Verse 60. He will send on you again all the diseases of Egypt, which were a cause of fear to you, and they will take you in their grip. And for those who don't understand yet that Israel consists of 12 tribes, the Jews is one of the tribes, which is Judah, and Benjamin and Levite is combined with the Jews of today. Genesis chapter 49 is a prophecy of all 
the tribes and what would happen to them in the 21st century. You need to go to Yer Davidi's website to, to get an illumination or understanding of what I'm talking about. www.beasinboyritam.org www.beasinboyritam as in mother.org to understand that the United States, Canada, the countries in Northwestern Europe, South Africa, New Zealand, New Zealand rather, Australia, are all a part of the ten tribes of Israel. We are Israel. We have been the most blessed uh, countries around the world, nations around the world. We have the most food. We have the most technology. We have the most everything. And, importantly, we have the most Bible distributions of any nation, which proves that we are Israel. There's over 5 million Jews that live here in the United States. The only other population is more than the Jews that live in the United States is over in, in the Middle East, in Israel. That's another proof that we're Israel. But anyway, Deuteronomy 28, verse 60, He will send on you again all the diseases of Egypt, so now you better understand this verse here, which were a cause of fear to you, and they will take you in their grip. Verse 61, And all the diseases and the pains not recorded in the book of the law will the Lord send on you till your destruction is complete. And you will become a very small band through your numbers were like the stars of heaven, because you did not give ear to the voice of the Lord your God. Verse 63, And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and increasing you, so the Lord will take pleasure in cutting you off and causing your destruction, and you will be uprooted from the land which you are about to take as your heritage. And the Lord will send you wandering. This is talking about what happened back in biblical times. And the ten tribes have been scattered around the world, haven't they? And the Lord will send you wandering among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. There you will be servants to other gods of wood and stone, gods of which you and your fathers had no knowledge. And even among these nations there will be no peace for you and no rest for your feet, but the Lord will give you there a shaking heart and wasting eyes and weariness of soul. Your very life will be hanging in doubt before you, and day and night will be dark with fears, and nothing in life will be certain. In the morning you will say, if only it was evening, and in the evening you will say, if only morning would come. Because of the fear in your hearts and the things which your eyes will see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt. And this is going to happen in the future. We'll take you back to Egypt. Egypt is in the news right now. Again in ships. By the which I have said to you, you will never see it again. There you will be offering yourselves as men service and women servants to your haters for a price. And no man will take you. So unfortunately, folks, that's where we're headed. Because uh, I don't see this country repenting of all the pornography. I don't see this nation repenting of allowing 47 million people to starve and not have food on a daily basis, the proper portions of food. I don't see the nation repenting of, of any of those things. We have all these churches, and, and what are these ch And abortion, of course. That is one of the, that proves that God is so merciful for him to allow these innocent babies and I know how he feels about babies, but I'm sure that what helps him deal with it, that he knows they'll be re res resurrected. He raised them, raise them up. So that's why he allows it. 
That's why. You, and that's another thing. When people incorrectly teach that the great white throne judgment is just a judgment of the damn, how can that be? All these abortions <laughs> that's going on, is he gonna, is, is that fair? Is that, is that fair to allow these babies to totally just not live forever? It's not their fault that they were killed. He's going to give these babies, and I mean, common sense tells you he's going to give these babies an opportunity to know him. He's going to resurrect them. So I'm trying to find the scripture here where it talks about um, the economic destruction that's occurring as I'm speaking, the genesis of it anyway. Yeah, let me look up the word tail. But, folks, we need to wake up here. We need to wake up. Uh, you, you can't think that everything's okay because you want it to be. I mean, <laughs> it's not It's not that way, folks. And We've got to... Here, this is the, the condition that it should be if we obey God. Deuteronomy, I'm talking about socioeconomically. Deuteronomy 28, verse 13, And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If thou wilt hearken unto the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command thee this day to observe and do. Now, we know that that's not the case. We in this country, we talk a good game about God, but we don't obey him collectively. There's always the few, but the majority don't. Deuteronomy 28, verse 44. Now, this is what has happened here. Now, I love my Asian brothers, but the fact is is that Asians have come over here and they make the most money. They do. If you don't believe me, go to the, the Census Bureau website and look up uh, the report that they have on income and, and income. And you'll see that of the three major types of human races, Asians make more than Caucasians now. I don't think many people know that. But anyway, Deuteronomy 28, verse 43, the, the stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and you shall come down very low. And that is what's happened. We've allowed um, people to come into this country and get very high. Um, and I admire Chinese people. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they, they're very industrialist. They're not lazy. And they come over here, and what do they do? They... they <laughs> they open up Chinese restaurants, okay, and they make money. I admire these folks. I mean, they are hard workers, and and they and their whole family contributes to the business. And what do we get? And particularly blacks. I mean, we 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 uh, we're not. We don't think like that, and we should. We should be entrepreneurial. We shouldn't have to depend on a paycheck. Nothing wrong with that, but eventually you need to grow out of that and produce your own paycheck. We have it in us to do. But anyway, verse 44, He shall lend to thee, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. And that's what's going We're the world's greatest debtor nation. You don't believe me? Type in the world's greatest debtor nation in the United States in Google, and we'll pop up. So this prophecy has been fulfilled. We are Ephraim which can be interpreted two ways, uh, either the United States or Britain, or, or both of them, or the ten tribes, the entire ten tribes of Israel. In verse 45, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till you be destroyed. 
destruction. He means destroy, folks. Because you hearken not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commands thee. Verse 47. Oh, verse 46. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for wonder upon thy seed forever. Keep in mind, this is Moses, which is one of the prophets, which Ephesians 2 verse 20 says that the assembly of the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. People forget about the prophets part. Okay? And so that's why I'm reading Moses. And I'm going to read all the rest of the prophets because the church is based on, on, the, on the prophets' foundation and the apostles. So I read both. I don't read one without the other. Verse 46, And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever. Verse 47, Because you serve not the Lord thy God. He's supposed to serve him. That's what obedience is. Service. Because thou serves not the Lord thy God with joyfulness. Remember what I said? You have to obey him because you want to. When you have joy, you're doing it because you want to. It's like when you do your wickedness, you're doing it because you like it, right? All right? Because thou serves not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. He doesn't want you serving him. Oh, i got to obey God. <laughs> he doesn't want you obeying him like that. That's not obedience to him. You know, verse 47, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart and with the abundance of all, then this is what's going to happen. And he's being smart, and he's doing it in a righteous way. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he has destroyed thee. And that's what's happening Right now, folks, you guys ought to Google this website and study it. This is one of the best, one of the highest-reached uh, websites on the Internet. It's called the Economic Collapse. And this is an article. The number one cat catastrophic event that Americans worry about, economic collapse. And what, what have I just read to you? That's what's happening, according to the Bible prophecies. According to this commentary, again, local crops such as oil and wine are unaffected, however, showing that the scarcity is limited, not comprehensive. Some think the command not to harm the oil and wine may have a social significance, since the rich were primary consumers of oil and wine. Yes, in certain parts of the world, some people are going to have, you have the have and the have-nots. But eventually, as Yeshua stated in Matthew chapter 24, this is going to be a worldwide occurrence. Matthew chapter 24. And that's and it's happening globally right now, as I'm speaking. Matthew chapter 24, starting verse 24, actually in verse 3, verse 3. How much time do I have left here? 32 minutes, okay? And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which is across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world, or the end of man trying to rule himself? The end of the devil's rule on this earth. That's what he's talking about. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you or trick you, Verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, just like the rumors of wars 
that I'm hearing about almost on a daily basis, especially on a weekly basis, about the United States or Israel attacking Iran. Verse 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. That's King James Version. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, which means families against families, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places, in various places around the world. Okay? So this is a worldwide famine. So I don't agree with that commentary saying it's limited. Now, it's going to be worldwide. Worldwide. That's what the book of Revelation is about. It's not talking about just Israel. It's, it's, it's worldwide, around the world, folks. Did you get that commentary from me underneath the healing oils of the Bible? Okay. Which is another Bible study, the healing oils of the Bible. So much to talk about. So little time to do it in, folks. Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. And this is in uh, this is the Jewish New Testament commentary by David Stern. Revelation chapter 6. I want to get to verse 6 uh, how he uh, actually I'll, I'll it's on page 808 it says the breaking of the first four seals releases the four horsemen of the apocalypse who represent respectfully, number one, war in the aspect of subjecting peoples to one another and also represents uh, religious deception. Verse, uh, uh, number two, the second horse, war in its aspect of hate between nations and individuals. Verse three, I mean, not number three, horse three, rather, an equitable economic distribution or less likely general scarcity of goods. And that's where we're at right now, general scarcity of goods. And then the fourth horse, the death, which results from the first three, war, wild animals, Famine, inequitable distribution, and from diseases. Because when you have inequitable distribution, you don't eat right, right? And then when you don't eat right, it causes diseases. Okay, so, and then verse 6 says, The rich are cushioned by their wealth from the effects of economic inequality and scarcity, but the poor who must pay a day's wage is literally a denarius for starvation rations, are brusquely ordered not to meddle with the olive oil or the wine, now luxuries far beyond their means. So this is inflation. And then in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 26, it says, Weighing the bread is a sign of a curse. According to Leviticus 26, verse 26, They shall dole out your bread by weight. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. So, folks, that's what's coming, and and that's what is right now, really. The economic collapse, this article, Google this on... Uh, Google says the number one catastrophic event that Americans worry about, economic collapse. I've already read to you from the scriptures that God has already prophesied this, that this is occurring, so don't be surprised if it's occurring. I'm only going to read a little bit of this. It says, can you guess what the number one catastrophic event that Americans worry about is? There are certainly many to choose from. Many Americans are definitely afraid of a major terrorist attack. Others live in constant fear of natural disasters such as earthquakes, volcanoes, and hurricanes. Or what did I just read you about what Christ said about earthquakes? Still, others are incredibly concerned about a massive pandemic. What did I read again? About diseases, right? Will break out at any time or that World War III will erupt in the Middle East. What did I read to you about what Christ said in Matthew 24, verse 6? All accurate, isn't it? 
Yes, there are certainly a lot of potential catastrophic events that one can worry about in the times in which we live, but the number one catastrophic event, catastrophic event that Americans worry about is actually economic collapse. And this is the one that God really puts upon us first in a lot of cases. I mean, in Isaiah chapter 3, he states he'll take away the stay of bread, the ability for us to take care of ourselves. That gets our attention. Well, you don't have no food in your tummy. That gets your attention. And he knows that. At least that is what in a recent survey conducted by Leflin um, Incorporated for the Echo Health Alliance found. But this goes along with what so many other polls have found over the year, over the past few years. Over and over again, opinion polls have found that the number one issue that American voters are concerned about is the economy. The truth is that average Americans are deeply, deeply concerned about unemployment, debt, the housing crash, and the steady decline in the standard of living. It has been years since the U.S. economy has operated at a normal level. And many Americans are afraid that things could soon get a whole lot worse, and they will, folks. I just read to you what God said through the prophet Moses. In the new, and the prophet Yeshua, in the new survey mentioned above, those contacted were asked to select the top three potential catastrophes that worried them the most. The following results come directly from the survey. Economic collapse, 63%. National disaster, 46%. Terrorist attack, 44%. Global disease outbreak, 33%. Global war, 27%. Nuclear accident, 25%. Global warming, 22%. Fuel shortage, fuel shortage 15%. Cyber war, 8%. Famine, 8%. Oil spill, 6%. Industrial accident, 5%. This is interesting because they don't equate famine with the ability of not being able to take care of yourself, which is interesting. But if there's an economic collapse, you're not going to be able to take care of yourself, and it's going to cause famine. It says, as you can see, economic collapse was the winner by a wide margin. So are there good reasons for the American people to be concerned about an economic collapse? Of course there are. Back in 2008, a financial crisis that began on Wall Street was felt in the farthest corners of the, of the globe. Remember, the stock market failed 777, which is an interesting Bible study in itself. But anyway... This time, ground zero for the financial crisis is going to be in Europe. As I have written about previously, the European financial system is rapidly coming apart at the seams. The euro continues to drop like a rock, and banking stocks continue their long-term decline. Many people expect a financial collapse to happen on a particular day, but that is not how it happens usually. Instead, it is often like a snowball that starts rolling downhill very slowly at first, but eventually becomes a huge avalanche. And that's what's going to happen, folks. I'm not going to read the rest of this. You can if you want. Uh, you can go to Infowars.com, which I highly suggest you review to get the real news. And also there's a website called The Real News to go to as well that's not dominated and controlled by special interest groups and the elite and the Council of Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission, which is another Bible study in itself. Uh, but uh, review all this, this information, this article, the number one catastrophic event that Americans worry about economic collapse. Google that. But uh, let me, how much time do I have left here? 24 minutes. Okay, let me uh, briefly go over the Torah readings. And then I'm going to go over, um, so Genesis 44, verse 18, to Genesis chapter 47, verse 27, courtesy of Habad. Uh, Judah approaches Joseph to plead for the release of Benjamin, offering himself as a slave to the Egyptian ruler in Benjamin's steed. Upon witnessing his brother's loyalty to one another, Joseph reveals his identity to them. I am Joseph, he declares. Is my father still alive? The brothers are overcome by shame and remorse. But Joseph comfort, com, uh, comforts them 
It was not you who sent me here, he says, but God it has all been ordained from above to save us and the entire region from famine. So this is interesting that the Torah reading is tied into what I'm talking about today. The brothers rush back to Canaan with the news. Jacob comes to Egypt with his sons and their families, 70 souls in all, and is reunited with his beloved son after 22 years. On his way to Egypt, he receives the divine promise, Fear not to go down to Egypt, for I will there make of you a great nation. I will go down with you in Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. Joseph gathers the wealth of Egypt by selling food and seed during the famine. Pharaoh gives Jacob's family the fertile country of Goshen to settle, and the children of Israel prosper in the Egypt exile. So for those who believe in God, even in this famine state, we will be protected. And uh, for those who truly believe in the words of God, we'll be protected. All right, the Hattor summary. This week's Hattor mentions the fusion of the kingdoms of Judah and Joseph during the Messianic era. So what this means is that the ten tribes of Israel will be united with Judah and Benjamin and Levite in the future. And all will settle in the land of Israel today. The prophet Ezekiel shares a prophecy received in which God instructs him to take two sticks and to write one on one for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions, as Judah, uh, Benjamin, and Levite, and, and, and uh, on the other, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, that's the ten tribes, including the United States, and his companions. After doing so, he was told to put the two near each other, and God fused them into one stick. Now, this is a part of the gospel, the, the union of the good news of the kingdom of God, of the realm of God. In that kingdom, you're going to have all the 12 tribes united again. God explains to Ezekiel that these sticks are symbolic of the house of Israel, which are the ten tribes. That was divided into two, often warring kingdoms. The northern kingdom that was established by Jeroboam, a member of the tribe of Ephraim, and the southern kingdom that remained under the reign of the Davidic Judini, the Jan dynasty or the Judean, rather, dynasty. The fusing of the two sticks represented the merging of the kingdoms that will transpire during the Messianic era with the Messiah, the descendant of David, and the helm of this unified empire. So says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side, and I will bring them to their land, and I will make them into one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be to them all as a king. The Hathor ends with God's assurance that they shall dwell in the land that I have given my, to my servant, to Jacob, wherein your father's forefathers lived, and they shall dwell upon it, they and their children, their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Okay, so that's what the Hathor readings are all about, or reading is all about there. And then the uh, apostolic scripture, which I'm going to go over today, uh, hopefully, um, Revelation chapter uh, 7 and Revelation 21, I mean 20, 21, and 22, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 to 28. Okay, so we're going to continue on with this Bible study here about the, the realm of God here, the kingdom of God, uh, which has not been, it has been initiated spiritually, but not physically yet. So, yes, but... Yeah, yeah, that, that he has jurisdiction. I just yeah, you had walked out at the time. You didn't. You weren't there. All right. So anyway, um, I'm going to read you certain scriptures here, uh, key scriptures about the kingdom of God. Here, starting in Matthew six verse thirty three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. So this is something we need to seek first, folks. We need to seek the rulership of God, the realm of God. 
not the realm of the devil, and his righteousness, which is, which, what is righteousness? Psalm 119, verse 172. It's all the commandments of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Food, clothes, and things that we lust for, right? So that's what he's saying. Now, to rich people, this is a warning. Matthew 19, verse 24. You can jot these down. You don't have to look these scriptures up. You can jot them down and read them over, or you can look them up. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is something that you enter, is something that you see. And then Matthew 21, verse 31, this is why he puts up with uh, prostitutes and tax collectors. He says, Whither of them twain did the will of his fathers in the King James Version? They say unto them, the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. And he's talking about the religious folks, the people that think they're so religious and know everything about the Bible, and yet aren't teaching them, uh, the complete truth of the Bible and asking people for money, uh, selling their literature. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. And now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of the good news of the realm of God. Verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And then in Mark 9, verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And this is talking about the transfiguration when he appeared, Elijah and Moses appeared with him as a future vision. So that's showing you again the kingdom of God is going to involve resurrected people. That's what he was talking about there. Now in Mark 10, verse 14, But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Allow or suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. And then in verse 15 of Mark chapter 10, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter into. So you must be humble like a little child to be able to even enter or be worthy of the kingdom of God. And then Mark 10 verse 23, And Jesus looked around about and said to his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? <laughs> That's a pretty plain statement there. And he means having riches selfishly. That's what he's talking about in that context. Now, if you have riches like Abraham and you shared it, that's a different story. But he's talking about having riches in a selfish way. And then verse 24, to explain, because he said, Matthew 10, verse 20, and the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter in the kingdom of God. So he kind of he helped explain what I explained. He's talking about those who trust in riches not those who just have riches. So he wanted to, he had to explain that to them so they can understand what he was talking about. And then uh, Matthew 10, verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man entering the kingdom of God. And of course, these are rich people that are selfish and think about themselves. And then Luke 6, verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And in Luke 8, verse 1, And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, or the realm of God, the rulership of God. So preaching the gospel, uh, preaching about the future kingdom of God is a very significant part of it. And then while you're preaching, as you should be doing this, uh, Luke 9, verse 2, And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I've done that. Uh, through God's power, I, I was, I've been able to heal people. Uh, I asked God to heal them, and they did. And I preach about the kingdom of God. 
And then you don't want to be in this situation. Luke 13, verses 28 to 29. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which symbolizes being destroyed in hellfire, when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. So, again, it's a place. It's a status. It's, 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 a, it's a, a condition that this world is not in right now. But anyway, so you, you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. So, again, it's a place. And then verse 29, And they shall come from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And then in Luke 17, verse 20 and 21, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, or the mountain rabbis of the day, when the kingdom of God shall come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall you say, Lo, here or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom of God, or the realm of God, is within you if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to rule you now. But the physical kingdom is not here yet. That's what he was talking about. And I already talked to you about that again in Acts 28, verse 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God. He's talking about Paul here. Persuading them concerning Jesus. This is what the kingdom of God is about, the government of the rulership of God. Uh, it's, it's concerning Jesus, uh, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning to evening. And then Romans 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God and the realm of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace. It's commandment keeping and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For the uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, these are people that have sex out of marriage, also adulterers, uh, no idolaters, no adulterers, no effem uh, or homosexuals, that's what um, effeminate means, no abusers of themselves with mankind. Uh, actually, no abusers of themselves with mankind, that's what the homosexuals mean. And then uh, verse 10, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor uh, partiers, or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, I've quoted this, I've quoted again. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. And then 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 5. Which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which he suffers. So the kingdom of realm of God is something that we suffer for. So those are all the scriptures that I hope help you to understand what the kingdom of God is all about, folks. The kingdom of God is something that we will see. Uh, it's something that we will enter into. And it involves resurrected human beings, beings that will have spiritual bodies. And the first fruits, we're going to go over that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 21 to 28. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father for those who believe that God is his one being again. Here we go again. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father. How can God the Father deliver something to himself? Does that make sense? All right. After destroying every rule and every authority and power, he's going to destroy every rule and every authority and power of the devil. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, so there will be no more death when he hands the kingdom over to his father. Verse 27, for God has put all things in, in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection unto him, that God may be all in all. Okay, so let's understand something, folks. This scripture proves, without a shadow of a doubt, that uh, God is two separate beings here. All right? How can God the Father subject himself, subject things to himself? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You know, I've read an article about this one woman wrote an article trying to prove that God is just one being. She didn't quote these scriptures. You know, they don't quote the scriptures to disprove what they're trying to preach, see. And then if you want to preach the truth, you have to quote all the scriptures, all the significant scriptures of that subject. Not just quote a few and that's it, you know. So <laughs> just you've you got to look at all this. And there's other scriptures uh, where it proves that Yeshua has a throne and the Father has a throne. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my... Sit at my, uh, what, what is it? Psalm 110, verse 10. Let me read it here. So I'm going to do, a, I'm definitely going to write an article, and I'm going to have to on my blog here, my new blog, MercifulLetters.com, MercifulLetters.com. Feel free to, to read and comment and share to the 2 billion people, I hope, around the world. I, I don't, you know, it's, only, it's going to take God for me to reach 2 billion people over the Internet, but uh, if I can reach a few people who are seeking the truth, that it's going to serve its purpose. Psalm 110, verse 1, a psalm of David, the Lord says to my Lord. So it's two different people. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So is God the Father talking to himself, telling himself to sit at his right hand? To Come on, let's let's use a little common sense. And I know God is not crazy, okay? So let, let's, let's use a little common sense here, all right? Let's understand that God consists of the Father and the Son. They're a team. They're a unity. They're a compound unity. That's what that word ekad means in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And I'm going to do a Bible study on that. But also another scripture that proves, John chapter 17, Yeshua is praying to the Father. <laughs> so how can he be praying to himself? That doesn't make any sense. Do you pray to yourself? Do you talk to yourself? That's what praying is. Do you talk to yourself? Well, I talk to myself, but, you know, it is, I do it, you know, as a bad habit, I guess, you know. To motivate myself, but you, you study John chapter 17, it was a heartfelt prayer. Okay, so it, anyway, I'm just going to write this. I need to write and probably give a Bible study on it, really, because it's just a bunch of confusion. But anyway, let's understand what this kingdom is going to be all about, folks. Um, I'm going to, I wanted to quote Revelation chapter 7, but you can read it for yourself. It, it's it's kind of similar to Ezekiel chapter 37. Okay, verses 15, I think, to 28. And I wanted to read, um, let me uh, do an audio version of the kingdom of God and, and what it will be like. Okay, first I'm going to do Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. 
if I can find it here. It's a beautiful scripture. Let's do it on the audio form here so that you can just get the, the idea of what God is talking about here in dramatic form here. This is all in the King James Version. Isaiah 2. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Okay, so that's, that's in, in the book of Isaiah. Um Hey, the, the, the prophet <laughs> says exactly what's going to happen is that there's going to be peace upon the earth. And we won't have the issues that we have right now. People can't get along with each other. People can't make up their mind what they want to do, etc. It's just uh, it's just a bunch of shenanigans that, that is going on right now in the world. Uh, but that's going to all end. And we're not going to have these issues anymore. Um, with uh, destruction, and it's just going to be a, a beautiful, beautiful time, folks. And uh, I'm looking toward this time, and you should be too. Now let me um, go to Revelation chapter 20. This is the, the event that I'm looking toward. Uh, I'm going to read this. Actually, yeah, through the uh, audio version here. I'm kind of glad I can use this now. I'm glad they had this online, too, so that we could uh, benefit from it. This is Revelation chapter 20. I'm going to play a few verses here. Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. 
The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation 21 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Well, that's a good way to end this uh, Bible study. So God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish, and there will be peace on the earth. There will be no more death, no crying, no pain. That's the simplest way I could describe this. That's when we will really know that we are in the realm of God, the kingdom of God. So, again, I, I think it's, it's really fantastic that I'm able to use this dramatic, because uh, I, I, I did this before, and I don't know what happened. I, I didn't have it online. And see, having it online here is going to really help me uh, really produce some quality programs here, because I know how people love to hear dramatic things. And sometimes, I guess more often than not, you need to hear something dramatic to take it serious. So I'm glad that... Uh, God has given me this uh, ability here to be able to do this. 
So anyway, may God bless and keep you. And Elohim, that's another that's the Hebrew name for God. It means mighty one. Uh Elohim willing. I'll be available to speak to you next week. Again, may God bless and keep you and protect you. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 